0: Greetings to all of you that happen to be viewing this message or listening by audio on iPod through iTunes or whatever. My name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those of you that are new, I briefly just want to introduce where I'm coming from. I will seek in this message to speak out of the Spirit of God to you not merely intellect and a mere mental grasp of truth but out of the spirit of god as it says in first peter chapter 4 if any man speak let him speak as the oracles of god that is the apostle peter Telling the early church that when you speak to one another, you are to seek to let God speak through you to that other person when you come together in assembly. That comes out of being in a conscious state of worship. And this is also described in Revelations chapter 19, where the apostle John has an encounter with the angel that was involved in giving him the book of Revelation. And he's in, so, in such awe of this angel that he falls down prostrate before the angel, and the angel responds and says, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servants and of thy brethren the prophets. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies of the reality of who God is to one personally is the spirit of prophecy, which comes out of a conscious state of worship. So my prayer is that you will not see me, but that you will truly receive from God from what I am sharing. By hearing with the ear of your heart and seeing with the eye of your heart, the reality of what God begins to enliven and animate upon your heart by the Spirit of God. Right now, what I am going to be doing is sharing on the messages to the seven churches that are in the book of Revelation. I already did do a message, which is on my website at Love Realized, on the first two churches, but the video had some problems where things were not properly done, so I felt to start over again and do this series on the seven churches from the beginning again of the first church. just want to briefly pray before this begins father god i ask in your holy name that you would be glorified through all that comes forth that your spirit would come forth and point people to the reality of who you are that they would truly have a personal encounter with who you are if they have not had that And if they have, that they would be enlarged in the intimacy of fellowship with you and of the revelation of who you are. I ask that I would be hidden and that you would be glorified. I began sharing on the book of Revelation, which is basically sharing about what will happen in the last days. But it begins from... The present period of time when this book was given to the apostle John by the angel of the Lord through Jesus Christ, and I've already shared on this first chapter, and this is the second chapter, which is the message to the seven churches that were at that time, but the message to these seven churches is not merely to these seven churches. In the context of the time of the Apostle John when he sent this letter out to those churches, but also reflects the condition of the body of Christ throughout history and towards the very time of the end. And what I want to share here is applicable to the body of Christ today in a very real way. Now, before I begin to share on the particular first church, which is the Church of Ephesus, I just briefly want to mention that, um, excuse me here, um, some of the things that are important to know, that I believe are important to know. There are various... Descriptions of God in relation to each of these churches at the beginning that is related to these churches because of their particular weaknesses and strengths. But there is something else that I briefly want to mention that is mentioned also in Revelations chapter 1 where we read in the fourth verse of Revelation 1 about God. It says in that verse, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. This is God addressing the seven churches that I'm about to share on. He addresses them by describing himself as the one that is and was and is to come. God, as the Father, transcends time and space and government. The word father means originator. It also has the understanding of experience through time that gives wisdom in order to properly rule. The aspect of God as the father is understood as that aspect of God that is governing in conscious personage beyond time and space that sees the end from the beginning that is beyond the time and space realm. The aspect of God as the Son is the full expression of God into the time and space realm. It's the full expression of the Father, the Originator of all things, the Creator, into the time and space realm. This is how it is described in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father. The word son actually means, basically, expression. Expression of the source, the Father. And so we see that God is beyond time here in John chapter, in Revelations chapter 1, verse 4. God is described as as the Father, as him which is and which was and which is to come, that is beyond the time and space realm. And then he describes also the seven spirits which are before his throne. And this is the particular part that I want to share with you. The seven spirits which are before his throne. This is not saying that God is seven different entities. There is only one God. And he's not seven different entities. The Holy Spirit is one entity. But it is like color. The seven colors of the rainbow, when they're put all together, form a bright white light. And this is just describing, a way of describing, the seven aspects of the perfection of the one holy true Spirit of God. And so we have only one God who, in order to be truly almighty, must be able to govern beyond time and space in conscious entity of personage and also be able to govern in time and space in conscious entity of personage if he is to be God that truly rules over the time and space realm and rules over that realm that is beyond time and space. And God, as the Holy Spirit filling all space and being able to be attached to every particle of existence that he has created within the time and space realm with the power to be in personage everywhere at the same time and to bring forth every single atom to a state that it was in the beginning which would cause the resurrection of the dead in the case of calling forth that. Now, In this chapter, I want to particularly focus, first of all, on the seven spirits of God that were just described there in verse 4 of chapter 1, where it says, from the seven spirits which are before his throne. This is also mentioned in Revelations chapter 5 about the seven spirits. And it describes this in relation to the Son, which is the full expression of the Father into time and space. In verse 6 of Revelations chapter 5, and it says this, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven eyes pardon me, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So here we have Jesus Christ, the full expression of God, being described as a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the seven aspects of the perfections of the spirit of God sent forth into all the earth the horns representing authority and power, the eyes representing the ability to see to the very core of all things, the motives of people, the very depths of all that he has made in the physical as well as every other dimension. And this is emanating out of Jesus Christ, the full expression of the Father in this realm. And he is going forth by the Spirit of God through the Son to see the aspects in your heart and this person's heart and in this corporate gathering of believers and that corporate gathering of believers. He is going forth to see those aspects of perfection that are in his Spirit that are in the heart of those people. There's a verse that says that the Lord goes to and fro throughout all the earth with his eyes, searching for those whose heart is perfect towards him. And here we have a description of this. And so I wanted to, first of all, bring out these seven aspects of the perfection of the spirit of God, what I believe they are, from my meditations and reflection and God's Spirit impressing things upon my understanding. This is not a dogmatism, but I believe it is what God has shown me to share with the body of Christ. And I want to apply these seven aspects of the perfection of the one true Spirit of God to the seven churches, which no doubt is... Eyes and his authority in those eyes, like horns, is going forth to deal with the seven churches, each identified in a particular perfection of the Spirit of God. I am going to share the order of this perfection of the Spirit of the one true God. The first, first I will list them. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. I believe that is particularly brought forth to the church of Sardis. The next in right order is the spirit of holiness to Pergamus. The next in right order is the spirit of grace to Laodicea. And the next, the spirit of love to Philadelphia. And the next, the spirit of faith to Smyrna. And the next, the spirit of oneness to Ephesus. And lastly, the seventh, the spirit of wisdom, rulership, and authority to Thyatira. This is just as the colors of the rainbow. All of these colors bring out light, and ultimately that light is totally pure. It is totally white, pure light. And the first color is purple, which is represented in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. How is that in the being of God an aspect of his perfection in his Holy Spirit? That is in an omnipresence and omniscience. Everywhere at the same time. How is that an aspect of perfection in God? We have various things in the word of God that bring out this. And one of the key verses is in Isaiah 33, around verses 4 and 5. Where it's speaking about Christ as the Messiah in the context of those verses. And it says this. Concerning Jesus Christ, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Why would the fear of God be the treasure in the being of God? Is he not God? Does he need to fear himself? Well, I'm not here to give an in-depth teaching on the fear of God, although I have a book I'm writing that's very in-depth on the secret of abiding in the very life source of all things, who is God in the ultimate perfection of love. The secret is in the fear of God. The fear of God is a deep turning from the heart. It is first a choice from the heart to be open to the reality of who God is, and a choice from the heart to become reciprocative and receptive to who God is and the perfection of his being, of love. Love is the quality in the being of God that always chooses the highest-lasting good over any more immediate choice. It is an understanding that goes beyond mere feelings. There's three aspects of love that are described in the New Testament. The first is eros, which is sexual. The second is phileos, which is to do with your soulish level of emotion and feeling, And the highest form is agape, which is beyond feeling but can include that, but it always is choosing the highest. It is that quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate gratification. And because God's being is this ultimate perfection of love that always chooses the highest lasting good, It is innate in the being of God to have such an integrity in his love and a purity in his love that he is as a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest word, thought, or deed that is contrary to his love. All that is contrary to the love of God carries corruption. It carries the principle of what is destructive, which is basically something that science observes in the whole known universe. That is the second law of thermodynamics, which basically says this that anything left on its own will always go in the direction of greater and greater disorder to total chaos. And to make choices that are less than in full conformity to this ultimate perfection of love is to be in a state that is apart from this perfection of love and therefore carries a degree and a measure of this second law of thermodynamics which is basically the principle of corruption god's love is like a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to this perfection of love this is the defensive aspect of god's love Which is described as His holiness. It is the absolute pure integrity of His love that will not tolerate the slightest that is contrary to love, the slightest corruption, that is. For all that is contrary to the perfection of God's love has corruption in it. And what is corrupt? is not reality. Reality is total life without corruption. The ultimate reality is that which is totally life without corruption. God is described as reality. One of the names of God is Yahweh or Jehovah, which means the self-existent one. And another way, he is described in both the Old and New Testament. He is described as the I am that I am. In Hebrew, it is ahiyah, asherah, ahiyah. The understanding that God is ultimately real. If you look up the definition of the word reality in a dictionary, it means basically that which is everlasting, that which is immovable, that which is indestructible. And the only quality that can have such Reality without corruption is this love that I am describing, but it is more than just this integrity and purity of love that will not tolerate the slightest that is contrary to it, which is the holiness of God, the defensive aspect of his love. This is the foundation of the being of God from which springs forth God's power to be fully creative without any corruption so that his creativity can continually grow, which is the expression of his love, in greater enlargement of fulfillment and creativity and go on forever and ever without end, expanding in creativity and totally going against all corrupt corruption. That is, all corruption in the universe, the second law of thermodynamics, all that is independent of who God is has corruption in it, if that is an intelligent conscious being, or something that came out of choices that were in independence of who God is. This can be represented by the negative symbol in electricity. Everything in creation has negatives and positives. All the cells in your blood are filled with negatives and positives. Everything works on negatives and positives in nature, which is a reflection of this ultimate reality of who God is, that can contain unlimited life and power without corruption, that can ever expand with expressions of creative love, and ever enlarge without end with it because of this quality that does not have corruption. This There's this ultimate negative and positive symbol. The negative symbol represents cutting off all that is contrary to his love and represents foundation from which can spring forth that which is not corrupt. That is the negative symbol in electricity and in all things we see in nature and math and so on. And what comes out of the negative symbol is the ultimate positive, which is the symbol of the cross, the plus symbol, representing that which can spring forth from a foundation where there is no corruption, an ultimate creativity of love. Yes, I didn't know I was going to go into such depths describing the caratine and the being of God here, but I am laying a foundation to describe the first perfection which is the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and I will get into how that relates to all of this. So what is ultimately expressed in the positive aspect, which is the ability to come out of this foundation of perfection with creativity without corruption, is ultimately expressed in the fact that God's love is so pure and it is so perfect that he has the power without violating the integrity of his love to take judgment upon himself and absorb it so that those free will beings that do not directly go against the blessing of God's presence and spirit but through their indirect temptations have fallen away from God can choose to receive his forgiveness because God has in his being the power to forgive because he has such a perfection of love that he can absorb the judgment and the consequences of our sins upon himself. And this was in the being of God and always was in the being of God, not merely a capacity, but a reality. And that is why it says in the book of Revelations here concerning Jesus Christ, the full expression of God into the time and space realm, that he is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, he was slain before the plans for the world and its creation were laid. And he entered into this time and space realm in his son. His death was foretold hundreds and even over into the way over a thousand years ago in detail. You can look at all of those prophecies if you look it up on the internet. Prophecies of Jesus Christ and his atoning work. And he came, God came into this time and space realm in his son, his death being foretold. And he suffered more than you. Think of it, you as an individual. Way more than you as an individual. And humbled himself way more than you as an individual. That's how great his love is for his creation. For you as an individual, so that you could choose to repent And be reconciled to him. And yet, this was in his being before the world was created. So that Jesus Christ is described as the Lamb of God that was, as it were, slain before the world was even created. Because that perfection of ultimate love, this ultimate positive, was always there. It was always within God to have the power to assure to his creation that they could be forgiven and have destiny if they repented and received the perfection of his love in perfect atoning sacrifice. I could talk for hours on this, all, but it would take too long and it would go off what I am wanting to get to here, which is describing these seven aspects of the perfection of the Spirit of God. So now that I've described the being of who God is and his perfection and the triunity of his government that is beyond time and space as the Father, and in time and space as the Son, and filling all space as the Holy Spirit. And if he could not be in conscious personage and identity in those three ultimate dimensions, he would be less than God. He'd be less than almighty. And also if he could not assure to his creation destiny and purpose, it would imply that he was creating that which didn't have ultimate meaning and purpose and would imply that he's imperfect. The evidence that God is truly who he is is that there is this power within his being to be a perfect atoning sacrifice, to be the very source of forgiveness and to assure destiny to his creation Now I want to give you now an understanding of what the perfection of the spirit of God is in the fear of the Lord, because it describes in Isaiah thirty-three, four and five around there that this is the treasure of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll give you some other verses. that put this together. There's John chapter 6. And I'm not sure of the exact verse on this, but I'm going to go to John chapter 6 and just read this particular verse. I do know more or less what it says. Maybe I'll just say it. Basically, towards the end of John chapter 6, it says that he that eats and drinks of me shall live by me even as I live by the Father. So Christ is saying that he lives by God who is in governance beyond the time and space realm and is the very source of all things and the creator of all things, that he lives by the Father. And even so we, in the same way, will, as it were, eat and drink of the Son and we will live by the Son. This is also talking about the secret of this union within the triunity of the one true God, which is the secret is in the fear of God. So what is the fear of God? I mentioned already that it involves the choice to recognize the reality of who God is, but that that choice involves first coming to an openness, to a place of openness to face that and to choose to recognize who God is in the perfection of his being. This is not some intellectual thing. This is a deep turning from the heart that is very, maybe not totally grasped intellectually, but is what is going on in the heart. That is what I'm describing here. The genuine fear of God. To choose to genuinely fear God is to choose to recognize These two aspects of love that I've described, the ultimate negative and the ultimate positive, as it were, of the universe. The absolute perfection of the being of God's love and integrity that will not tolerate the slightest corruption that is contrary to love. It's called the holiness of God. It's recognizing that God is ultimately trustworthy because his being will not tolerate corruption. Not the slightest corruption. He is a consuming fire of judgment, a blazing fire of love that is so pure that it devours all corruption. a love that's so pure it can be transcendent to assure mercy and forgiveness by taking judgment upon himself and suffering more than you, a mere creature, and humbling himself more than you, a mere creature. And to reject this love is to reject the very source of life and of harmony and of fulfillment. And when you're cut off from ultimate love, all that's left is torment and hell forever that is beyond the worst torment that can be experienced in this world, according to those that have experienced entering that dimension and being declared dead in their body and being revived in many cases. And there are many examples you can see of life after death stories on my website that are not just stories that are verified by doctors. I'm not going to get sidetracked into all the scientific evidence of life after death, but it is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. you, You can go into particle physics, and all the evidence is there from all the mathematical equations that have come out of the collisions that they recorded of particles, such as in the Large Hadron Collider and Geneva's Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, and so on. You have physicists that don't even believe in Jesus, that conclude that there has to be an ultimate being. And the way they look at it is some ultimate being evolved that is God. And that the whole universe is filled with neurons that are like the neurons in our m- mind, according to these physicists from what they've studied from all the mathematical equations. So that intelligence fills all things, even where there's total void, these neurons exist according to this one that you can watch being interviewed on my website at Love Realized. Like I said... God's spirit is attached to every particle of existence. And so what I'm describing here is I'm beginning to try to emphasize what this spirit of the fear of the Lord is. In the being of God, which involves the triunity of God in governance beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space, as the Father beyond time and space, the Son in time and space, and the Spirit of God filling all space. There is this beautiful reciprocation of love that brings a total oneness in who God is. The one true God, not three gods. And so the Son beholds the purity of the love of the Father and reciprocates it in his being, which is to choose, to fear and reverence who the Father is, to appreciate who he is. This pure love that is a consuming, blazing fire of pure love, out of which springs creativity and beauty. What is the source of wholeness is the holiness of God, this purity of love that can contain unlimited life and power in a constructive way that is unto ever-enlarging good that has its source in the expression of the being of God's love in total creativity of expression, of love. And the being of God is being appreciated by the sun. It is so bright, it is it contains wholeness without corruption, and out of that wholeness springs forth beauty that is beyond description, way greater than the beauty we even see in this creation. One greatly loves and appreciates a beautiful woman if her a man and wanting a wife, and vice versa. That's a reflection of the beauty of God. But God is the very source of beauty, and it springs out of his wholeness, which springs out of his holiness, the integrity of his love. Out of his being flows Rivers of life that are filled with love and out of his countenance is a love and a beauty and out of his eyes that is beyond description. This atheist, which you can watch who died and went to hell and also saw God in heaven, very valid, true story. God knows the person's hearts, whether they're open to the truth. And this man was open enough to the truth that when he cried out for mercy as he was dying, God heard him. He showed him hell and he he saw. And he said that when he saw God, there was such power and life coming from the countenance of God. And the beauty of his countenance and his eyes were so filled with life and love. But out of it was coming such power out of his mouth. That whole galaxies and universes, as it were, were being continually created. It's the second one on the slider on, lo- on, on Not love realized on ultimatemeaning.com. And so the son is beholding the beauty of the father and he's saying to, and he says to the father, "Father, I love you so much." that I want to reciprocate your love and I want to show it back in thankfulness. I want to be able to express love back to you in a greater enlargement. So I want to come into the world and I want to suffer more than even the creature and humble myself more than even mere man so that I can take their sin upon myself so that they can repent and receive forgiveness and become your corporate bride and I can bring them before you to a to as a gift to enlarge you in appreciation of my love unto you and the father says to the son son I see such beauty in you that I want to express my love to you and be enlarged in my love to you by even though it's painful allowing you to go into this condescension in order to bring and inherit a people that will be your corporate bride that you can experience an enlargement by and love unto me. And so there's this relationship that comes out of the fear of God. It is a choice to recognize God in such reverence that brings total trust, And the being of God is ultimately trustworthy. And it is in the recognition of that quality that is ultimately trustworthy that there springs from our being a trust that is pure. That is able to trust through the darkest trial that is able to have a persuasion in who God is that cannot be moved through the darkest trial and comes out of it in resurrection because of that trust and that link not being broken. And so this is what the perfection of the spirit of God is. It is coming into such a relationship of appreciation of who God is, recognizing who he is, and it involves reciprocation Involves out of that, fear of God springs forth. First of all, faith. Because you're reaching out in trust when you finally recognize the ultimate trustworthiness of the being of God in the fact that He is this ultimate positive of love, that can show mercy when we don't deserve it personally. And then out of that recognition of this love that is so ultimately trustworthy that can provide an assured destiny to us. Out of that, love comes. That's why the Word of God says faith works by love. But I'm not sure to get into that. I'm just going to point out another verse on the fear of God. And maybe that's what I'm supposed to be speaking on more than anything. So this is the other verse I want to point out on the fear of God. And again, I have to go into my... little. Oh, here to the place where that is, in um, Colossians, I believe it is, if I remember, right, it might be Colossians chapter 2, um, yeah. This is Paul's prayer for the church. He says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love, unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So how do we come into a deep unity with one another? Firstly, to recognizing the unity that is in the triunity of God, particularly in the reciprocation between the Father and the Son, which comes out of the fear of God. That is the secret. To true unity is the fear of God. It is choosing to reverence God, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and utter awe of who he is so that all our presumptuous, proud thoughts are pulled back and broken in the awe of who he is, that brings such honesty, that brings us to the place of such humility out of that honesty, and such honesty out of that humility, by choosing to recognize from the heart, from the deep turning of the heart, who God is. That is the perfection of the sphere of the spirit of God, in the fear of the Lord, which is in Christ as the Messiah, now I want to begin to go through explaining these other perfections of the Spirit of God in relation to speaking on the churches. but first, I want to share on the Church. Of Ephesus, and so I want to read this part. This is the message to the church of Ephesus in Revelations chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor. And thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Church of Ephesus, the word Ephesus means full purposed. And we have the book of Ephesians, which really does describe the ultimate, consummate purpose of creation and of history, which is in the corporate bride, becoming pure and spotless, unmarried to the creator. And of course, we see the reflection of male and female counterparts in all things, which reflects this ultimate purpose, which is the very purpose for which all things exist. And that is that God would have a corporate bride from every background and kindred and tongue that is brought out of all of that diversity that in the natural would never get along into such a love and a unity with God and each other, that there is no corruption in it. There is total purity. And thus the secret of government that can go on forever and ever in greater and greater enlargement of creativity and fulfillment It is in the love of God, this ultimate perfection of love and coming into oneness with who God is in his love, in this ultimate negative and positive, the perfection of his love and holiness, that is out of that transcendence in the power to assure mercy to those that receive his perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. Did you know that even in the original letters of the alphabet that go back to 2000 BC, from which almost all languages spring forth, these are symbol letters in the Hebrew back to 2000 BC and earlier, that one of the letters, which is the last letter, is the letter Tav, which is the exact picture of a cross as we know it today. That letter means symbol and sign. And the ultimate sign and the ultimate symbol is, in the ultimate positive for which all things exist, which is this love, in the perfect atoning sacrifice of God himself, so that we could, as creation, receive destiny and purpose that is also found enlarged in God. Now, I am just wanting to share with you about the Church of Ephesus. So this word, Ephesus, means full purpose Now with Ephesus, the Lord emphasizes that he's the one that is holding the seven stars in his right hand and walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the reason he is emphasizing that is because Ephesus is described here to to having lost something. Now, of course, it's described a little further down. They lost their first love, and yet they were so purposed. The word Ephesus means full purpose. They were so purposed in wanting to do the right thing that they were totally consumed in their energy in doing and seeking to do what was pleasing unto God. They didn't tolerate people that called themselves apostles. They tested them to see if they were genuine or not. They labored. They didn't even faint. They they were filled with good works. And yet God says they lost their first love. Ephesus was a city that was a deep port city that was very wealthy because of their harbor. That was deep and allowed for ships to come in. But as time went on, what happened to Ephesus was that they took all the trees from the hills down to build buildings and they didn't replace them. So there was erosion. And over time, what happened to the harbor is it became too shallow. Today, it is seven miles away from the city. And, of course, totally useless. But there was a time when Ephesus was a deep harbor and a very wealthy city back at that time. And this is a picture and an illustration of what happens that takes us away from a first love relationship with God. The trees represent the blessings that God brings into our lives when we come into an intimate relationship with him, eventually Those trees reach maturity, and there's blessings that come to maturity in our lives. And so we cut down those blessings to use them. But what we fail to do is to break up the ground around those trees that we cut down and to replace them with new seeds. We got our eyes on the blessings and on what God was giving us rather than on the source. You will see time and time again throughout history that by the second or third generation, a movement or a church that had great visitations of the presence of God and great blessings is cooled down because what happens is they receive many material blessings out of such a wonderful relationship with God, and then they begin to think more of the blessings of the children that God's given them and allow the children to run things and do things that are... And these children don't know God the way they did. And so they steer them off course. And nowadays we see a lot of that in churches where parents are not willing to put their children on the altar like Abraham, who God tempted to actually sacrifice on the altar to the point that he brought a knife down on his son, about to kill him, and the angel of the Lord cries out from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm the child. I now know that you fear me. That was the statement, the first statement that the angel of the Lord said. Now I know you fear me. You see, when there's the genuine fear of God, it is an ongoing secret to abiding in a love relationship with God. It involves the breaking up of the hardness that tends to collect around our heart. It can be illustrated this way. An atom has electrons spinning around its nucleus, and these electrons are spinning at high speeds that form a hard shell around the atom. What does it take to break the hard shell? It takes a negative and a positive, which I have described as representing two aspects of the being of who God is the integrity of His love that is so pure that will consume as a blazing fire of love all that is contrary to His love, all corruption. And the plus sign, the recognition that we need the mercy of God and that because he is so perfect and pure in love, it can spring forth with the power to assure mercy and forgiveness because of him becoming a perfect atoning sacrifice. In fact, they knew this from the very beginning, from the time of Adam and Eve, there was one clear message that there is only one God and that he has provided a way of forgiveness. Yes, they took an innocent lamb and they laid their hands on that lamb, which was a symbol of their sin being transferred onto that lamb. And Jesus Christ is called the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They recognized that the animal didn't have the power in it to forgive them, but that God did. They recognized that all the animal could do was cleanse their physical body of sin, but could not cleanse their soul and spirit because it did not represent that, their soul and spirit. And so God's spirit could dwell with their soul and spirit through that and through them recognizing that God was the source of forgiveness. And I can't get into it here, but then... When that happened, their soul and spirit opened up like a fist to a hand in a state of selfless trust into which the Spirit of God, as another open hand, could come forming a state of selfless trust which is a new nature that is held there by the abiding of God's Spirit with their soul and spirit before Christ came and dwelling their soul and spirit after their soul and spirit could be cleansed which was after the atoning work of Christ. In Ephesus here, you have the hills being eroded. No trees replacing the trees that were taken, which is representative of us allowing our hearts to become hard and shallow. Instead of being broken up and soft, into which new seeds of life can be planted. And so we get our eyes on the blessings that God's given and on the material things and lose sight of our relationship with God. So we're full of purpose and religious activity and we can continue with the rituals, but now we are empty. There's not the love. There's not the reality within the purpose. And here in the church of Ephesus, the Lord emphasizes that he walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the reason he emphasizes that is because he's trying to say this, I'm walking in your midst, but you're not even recognizing I'm in your midst. You've got your eyes on all the religious activity. You've got your eyes even on the candles, but not on me that is in the midst of the candles, which represents the seven churches. You've got your eyes on the seven stars which are the seven bishops and who they are and you're putting your identity in them more than in me. You're not recognizing me behind them. How many times in our meetings we find ourselves starting the meetings out the same way over and over in a church service? And it usually starts up with lots of joyful clapping. Am I against that? No. But I can tell you this. That generally speaking, the Spirit of God will lead people to come into a place of utter humility and awe of who He is first. You know, if there are people that come into a church service and everyone's jumping around and having lots of emotion There's an insensitivity to those that are suffering around them. And there's also an insensitivity to whose presence we're in, which is the very presence of God. And so do you think the presence of God is going to be in the midst of a meeting where we are totally desensitized and presumptuous in his presence? What does it say in the word of God? It says that if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal their land. The humbling of ourselves under the mighty hand of God involves choosing to fear who God is. It involves coming to a place of recognizing the utter awesomeness of who he is. As it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, when thou comest into the house of God, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. What does it also say? It says, be still and know that I am God. You know, people can complain about hardly any people coming to the prayer meeting. The solution isn't to try to get people out to the pre-service prayer meeting. The solution is to make the church service the house of prayer again, where we as the leaders and as the congregation learn to get on our faces prostrate before God and to come to the place where we are in so awe of His presence and being still and knowing that He is God, that our hearts are circumcised, that our hearts are melted and broken before His presence, so that out of that can spring forth great and deep joy and liberty that is pure instead of hype, instead of superficial and insensitive, where there is liberty and yet reverence. The church of Ephesus was no longer sensitive to who was in their midst. They had lost their first love. They'd become shallow like the hills. The water of God's spirit ran off. It did not enter into the depths of their being anymore. God was afar off. They were full of their purpose and their activities. That they became an idol. Even the very activity of serving God became an idol. A deception. Didn't the Lord say, that you delight to draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. It is possible to totally have no fear of God and be totally religious in keeping the Ten Commandments so that the Ten Commandments becomes an idol that causes us to ignore who God is in our heart. By mere performance that makes us feel like we're something and we're glorying only in our own sufficiency. And we've come into a state of deceptive, self righteous pride, glorying in all of our religious activity and yet no love, no love for one another. Christ said, That we are to receive one another as he received us. And he received us as sinners. And yet today we have denominations and divisions in the church. So that we shun those that are not of the same persuasion of us. There are whole denominations that need to literally cry out unto God. And to repent with all their hearts for the division, for the denominationalism. There are those that deny that they're denominations, but in practice are, and they need to repent of that. The control, instead of making God's house a house of prayer, where each member of the body can function in the gifts as the spirit moves through them. The leadership wants to control everything so that they feel like they're in control. Yet I was at a church where I can tell you the Holy Spirit moved in the meetings and they allowed people to move in worship and out of that worship came prophetic utterance that was amazingly accurate where everyone not knowing what one another was going to say, it all dovetailed into the same theme and then it turned out that the word that the pastor was speaking was the very word that all we had spoken before he spoke. And that happened time and time again in some meetings that I went to in the past. And that's what God is wanting in his body. He is wanting us to come into such a love relationship with him that we come into this knitting together that comes out of the fear of God that Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. That our hearts might be knit together in love unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding that is of the mystery of the Father and of the Son which has the secret. It is in the fear of God. That there is the reciprocation of faith that works by love, that keeps us in a place where we are in the secret place of the Most High, abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. The place of humility, the place of thankfulness, where the fall of ground is broken up. Where we learn, as it were, to love one another and to wash one another's feet with the word of God. Where when there are those that are difficult to love or those that have offended us, even though they are more in the wrong, we choose to humble ourselves before them as Christ did to us and to receive them and to share our faults with them in order to win them to share And to come to the place of repentance and love. This is what God is calling the body of Christ to do in these last days. Is to come back to the first love. To repent of control. To repent of denominational listen. The church of Ephesus I described here, had the secret of the spirit of oneness in the perfection of the spirit of God, which is the sixth one in order. God wanted them to come into such a oneness with him, which comes out of having hunger and thirst for him. And what quenches the thirst and the hunger for God is mere religious activity and love for the world that causes a hardner, hard shell to form around our heart. We have lost walking in the first love. Learning to break up the fallow ground. For God's house to be a house. where we are just conscious of him in our midst. And we're in a place of prayer and of utter reverence. God is wanting, as it says in Ephesians, his church to be a bride that is pure and spotless without blemish. It says in Revelations 19, concerning this bride, this church, that he is seeking for in the last days. And I will read it. starts and I could read earlier but I'll just start in verse 8 and to her was granted this is speaking of the body of Christ that is pure that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the, righteousness of the saints and he saith unto me right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I will just leave it there. God wants us to be ready for this marriage. To be part of his bride that is pure and spotless. It is not enough to be satisfied with being a denomination to allow limitations anymore in the body of Christ. God wants all limitations to be repented of. The limitations of control. The limitations of denomination, denoma, denomini, denominationism. The limitations of not allowing the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. Not allowing Christ as the head to fully come down and dwell. And abide in his body. Paul the Apostle said that God has so tempered the body together that he gives more abundant honor unto the part that lacks, that there should be no schism in the body. When God is allowed to temper the body together, there's no room for division because there's no room for pride. What happens? when control is not there and people are allowed to share as the Spirit moves on them, is that God pours a more abundant gift onto those that are not looked up to so highly and are not so charismatic so that he might humble those that tend to be looked up to because the root of division is pride. As it describes in Proverbs, contention comes by pride. And so we have that song, which I could sing to you. It says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and the mountains shall be brought down. And the crooked places made straight. And then all flesh shall see the glory of God. Do you want the glory of God to come down in your congregation? Do you want to be living stones that can be a habitation of God through the Spirit? It means to repent of all the leaven that would cause us to be popped up. That means that we choose to fear God. We choose to humble ourselves, to turn from our wicked ways. We choose to go all the way and not limit God anymore. reason there's such hardness in people's hearts and they will not do it and they choose to be satisfied with far less is because of loves of the world christ said that if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him and he went on to say in first john that all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. It says concerning Sodom and Gomorrah that the sin of God, Sodom and Gomorrah in Ezekiel was abundance of bread, pride, and idleness. In, the day, in this day and age, people are filled with idleness, even though the word of God says, redeem the time for the days are evil. There is nothing more fulfilling than redeeming the time with the creative things that God shows you to do instead of wasting your time with the gods of amusement and pleasure that harden the heart so that you do no longer long to spend time in prayer because your qu- hunger for God has been quenched with the things and the loves of the world. The secret to overcoming this is to feed the hunger of God and that secret is also described in Revelation chapter 21 and it says this He saith unto me in verse 6 of Revelation 21 it is done I am alpha and omega the beginning and the end I will give unto him that is a thirst the fountain of the water of life freely are you a thirst for God or have you allowed the loves of this world to quench your thirst to seek God to allow God to make your life a life of prayer and your church a house of prayer the secret is in the next verse he that overcometh shall inherit all things who are those that overcome those that are a thirst Those that do not allow their thirst to be quenched by the loves of the world, that choose to cut off those things that would stop them from abiding in the very life source of the universe, the love source of the universe. Put your life of prayer first before making money. Put your life in relationship with God first before any of the concerns of this life that are temporal. That is the secret to overcoming. And this perfection of the spirit of oneness that Ephesus had, that God wanted them to have because they laughed it and did not recognize who was in their midst. That perfection, the secret of it, was in walking in the first love. And to be in the first love means that we choose not to love the world. Because if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'll never forget. The reason there's so much divorce in churches is because of the hardness in people's hearts that is formed because of their loves for the world, which is an adultery from God in the activity and the focus of their energy and life and other things that are temporal. The gods of amusement, watching sports all the time, never praying, seeking God, whatever it is. Adventure, all of these things. I'll never forget the lady that told me that she was getting ready to divorce her husband and God convicted her that she needed to take a towel and wash his feet. And she just resisted time and time again. But she finally broke down and took this towel from the washroom and washed his feet. And he says, No, don't do it. And then tears broke out in his eyes. And she wept. And the hardness in their heart was broken. And they were reconciled and they have been married for 25 years. That is what God is wanting. The body of Christ to repent of loving the world and learning to have a love before Christ where we break our alabaster box of the things that are precious to us in this life and we offer that as perfume before his feet so that we can wash one another's feet and truly come into unity with one another as well as with him. This is what God is asking the body of Christ to do. When you do this and you start your meetings as a house of prayer and reverence and fear before God and that breaking and that melting starts to happen and then there comes out of it that purity and that freedom for each member to share and the pastor to share and so on. You're going to become living stones and the glory of God is going to have a beachhead in your community. His presence will come down like it did in the Welsh Revival and even greater, like it did in Azusa Street and even greater. And you will conquer your community and your city and your nation for God and stem the tide of judgment which is already soon coming and will not be held back but can be minimized by what we do to save our nation, our cities, and our communities. There are many that do not realize how serious impending judgment is upon the nations, the free nations of the world. If you knew how serious the plans of Russia and China are to destroy the United States and the free world, just go to Glenn back and see some of the documentaries on what's happening in Russia and their plans. Too much to share for time right now. You would be shocked. The time is urgent. And this message is an urgent message to the body of Christ. And all I'm sharing on today is the first church. The church of Ephesus. Which emphasizes the perfection of the spirit of oneness in God. And I'm going back to the church of Ephesus here now just a bit. And I want to emphasize one other thing on this church. That is in this passage... I mentioned how they became insensitive to who was in their midst. And that's why God emphasized that he's walking in their midst. But there's also another thing that is brought out here too. And that is the promise that he gives to those that overcome in the church of Ephesus. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The emphasis here is that it is in the midst of the paradise of God, that it is the very life source. And so he's promising to those that overcome this insensitivity, this religiosity, that it can be filled with purpose and good intentions, but has lost its first love. Those that do recognize him, that are sensitive to who he is in their midst, will also be given the promise of knowing him as their very life source so that he will be in the very midst of them as their life source in paradise forever. They will know the very center of life as a tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God because they've overcome That insensitivity that would keep them from abiding in him as their life source in the midst of the church and in the midst of their activities and of all the distractions of the world. Thank you for listening to this message. Continue to pray that God will open doors for me to share this message with more people and would provide the means to do what he's calling me to do, and that he would clearly direct me. Until we meet again, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley saying, my prayer is that God would richly bless you all, because you would be made blessable to be greatly blessed.